Hey everyone, this is David from Wisconsin. I'm Jack's podcast producer. I just wanted to remind you real quick that Jack has a podcast hotline. You can leave him a voicemail at 920-415-4525. All you got to do is leave your name, where you're from, roughly, and then your question or comment, whatever. Jack really does want to hear from you. Again, that number is 920-415-4525. You can also text your questions to that number or email jack at jack.hager at gmail.com. All of those contacts will be in the show notes for this episode. Thanks for listening. We'll see you later. Hey there, I am really, really grateful that you are investing some time to listen to this podcast. I get the time is uh, precious. It's really, other than people, the only irreplaceable thing we have. So I don't want to be wasting your time. So I'm praying that this will be informative, helpful, encouraging, or something that it's worth your time to listen. We're going to kind of do a Bible study, not really, but we're going to look at a story held in God's Scripture, actually three stories, because you know and I know there's a lot of things people think are in God's Word that aren't. God helps those who help themselves. Well, no, that's not in the Bible. What's some other ones? Oh, let's think for a second. What could be another one? Oh, yeah. God works in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. That may be true, but that phrasing is not found in the Word of God. Another one that I'd like to address today is when someone comes to Christ, the angels rejoice in heaven. Now, listen to me. The angels may rejoice in heaven, although it's kind of hard to believe that because the Word of God says the angels can't understand the gospel. They don't understand how anybody could be dumb enough to reject Christ. But at any rate, that's not what the Bible says. So Luke chapter 15 is where there's a three-act story, a three-act play leading to one truth. And let me allow me to read it out of the Christian Standard Bible. I'll make some comments along the way, but if you have your scripture, follow with me. Otherwise, just trust that I'm reading the right thing. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. What a terrible thing to do. Verse 3, so Jesus told them this parable. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it. He doesn't give up. He keeps looking. When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, and coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, Jesus says, I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. So in this first act, the Bible says there's more joy in heaven when someone becomes a Christian. Verse 8, Act 2. Or what woman who has ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? Not haphazardly, not when she feels like it, but she's searching carefully. When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found the silver coin I lost. I tell you, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels 
over one sinner who repents. So the second act tells us there's joy in the presence of God's angels. Then comes act three, the more familiar one, the one that everybody knows, the the parable of the prodigal son. Jesus also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the estate I have coming before me. So basically saying, uh, dad, you know, I wish you were dead because you don't get the estate till dad croaks. So he's basically saying, dad, I wish you were dead. I want what I want and I want it now. Uh, children can be like that, can't they? Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So for unknown reasons, the father distributed the assets to them. So the first son and the second son both got their assets. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. Not a good idea, not really cool for a Jewish boy to be around pigs, much less feeding them. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food, and here I am dying of hunger? I'll get up, go to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers." There's some debate on this, whether this is actual repentance or just, dude, I'm starving to death. I got to do something. And I don't really know. I think somewhere in this journey, the son really does repent. I'm not sure if this is him getting ready to run a con on dad or what's going on, but that's all the Bible tells us. Uh, he's rehearsing this this thing he's going to say to his dad. He's on his way home. Verse 20, so he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him. Why does father see him? Because the father was anticipating him coming home. The father was looking for him. The father was staring into the distance, hoping, praying his son would come home. His father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, not a respectable thing for a Jewish man to do, He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. Recognize this. The son was probably covered with pig poop. Probably didn't smell too good. But his father's love outweighed his sense of smell. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, and I believe now sincerely, Father, I have sinned against heaven in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And what's the the father do? But the father scream for his servants, yell for his servants. All right, let's have a party. Let's get down. Let's have some fun here. What did he actually say according to scripture? Told the servants, quick, bring out the best robe, put it on him. Father's probably not thinking too clearly because it doesn't say he cleaned him up first. He just threw the robe on him. There's a picture there. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it, and let's celebrate with a feast, because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Everybody's happy. Everybody's having a party. Well, not quite everybody. Now, his older son was in the field doing his thing. 
doing his duty. As he came near to the house, he heard music and, hope he can handle this, dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. The servant said, your brother is here, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The, then the older brother was rejoicing. No, no, not quite. Then the older brother became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, Look, I've been slaving many years for you, and I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. I'm surprised he could talk with his thumb so far stuck in his mouth. But when this son of yours, he didn't even call him his brother. But when this son of yours who devoured his assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. <laughs> How do you know that? Had he been listening to rumors, or was he just making it up? We don't know. All we know is this old brother was ticked that the younger brother was back and that the younger brother was being celebrated. Verse 31, the father says, Son, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because his brother of yours was, was dead and now is alive again. He was lost. He was found. This is an incredible story. In the first act, we learn there's rejoicing in heaven. In the second act, we learn that there's rejoicing in the presence of angels. And in this third act, we see the Father rejoicing over the repentant, stinky, smelly son. So yeah, maybe the angels do rejoice when someone gets saved. Maybe the angels do sing. But I think what Scripture is showing us here, it's the Father who celebrates first. It's the Father who sings. And by the way, there's a verse written a couple thousand years before this, Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, not a couple thousand, but several hundred, which reads in the English Standard Version, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He, the Lord your God, will rejoice over you with gladness. He, the Lord your God, will quiet you by his love. He, the Lord your God, will exult over you with loud singing. Isn't that kind of exciting? The Father rejoices. The Father rejoices. The Father rejoices. On January 30th, 1974, around 7.30 p.m. Texas time in Tom Green County Jail in San Angelo, Texas, I trusted Christ as my Savior. And my Bible tells me, my Father rejoiced over me with singing. And one glad morning when this life is o'er, we'll be in his presence, and we will certainly be singing to him. But I have a hunch he'll be singing to us, and sometimes singing with us. And sometimes I think a holy trio is going to join in. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, singing with us in a place where there is no sin. Because if you're in Christ, you have been saved from the penalty of sin. Like me, you are being saved from the power of sin. And one of these days, we'll be saved from the presence of sin. So it's God who does the rejoicing. It's God who does the singing. It's God who rejoices over us with loud singing. And that's kind of exciting.
Let's go back just a minute to uh, Luke chapter 15, because there's a couple things in there that I think are really, really important. The first act, the, fa the, the owner of the sheep goes after the lost sheep until he finds it. He doesn't give up. He doesn't say, oh, well, I guess it's not meant to be. He keeps going after the sheep. Keep going after the lost people around you. In the second act, the parable of the lost coin, the woman carefully searches, not haphazardly, not eh, but she's carefully, diligently searching. You and I need to carefully be alert to those divine appointments God has for us where we can share Christ or share something about Christ with somebody. Please remember, you don't share the whole entire plan of salvation necessarily. In fact, I think that rarely happens. But you're just bragging on Jesus. You're just telling sanctified commercials on Jesus. You're just lifting up his name because there's no other name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved. And in the third act, it's the father who rejoices. But there's something else there. When the younger son asks for his money, the father gives it to him and watches that son leave. He doesn't go after him. How come? I'm not really sure. But he's praying that God does whatever it takes to bring that son back. But when the son comes back and the older son gets all irritated and ticked and mad and he refuses to go in, the Bible says the father came out and pleaded with him. What? The father doesn't go after and plead with the younger son. But he goes out and pleads with the older son. How come? Well, the older son, he's so proud of what he's done. He's so proud of what he's doing. Remember, he says, hey, I've been doing the job. I've been sticking close to you. I haven't disobeyed you at all. I deserve a party. <laughs> and isn't that what the Pharisees do? Isn't that what the legalists do today? I deserve my salvation because I don't cuss and I don't chew. I deserve my salvation because I only read one translation of Scripture. I deserve my salvation because I don't have an earring or a tattoo. Nah, a legalist apparently is harder to reach than a person who realizes they're in deep doo-doo. I think it's fascinating that the father goes out and pleads with the legalistic son. And in the story, we don't know if the son ever repents, ever comes back. And again, it's just a story. It's not a point of history, but the parables are for our learning. There's rejoicing in heaven because it's God who rejoices over us. And that's an amazing thing. Hey, as I'm recording this, it's what people call Holy Week. I kind of get that, but every day is holy because it's a gift of God. And certainly on Good Friday, whether it's you've heard this before Good Friday or after. Good Friday is a time to reflect on the cross, but every time's a good time to reflect on the cross, which is why scripture says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, that's us, for the joy that was set before him, it despised the shame and endured the cross and has sat down at the right hand of the Father. Hey, one of these days, that same Jesus is going to get up. He's going to come back for his church. And I don't care if you're pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, don't give a trib. 
that's not going to get you to heaven, your view of eschatology. But if you know Jesus as your Savior, if you know and know that you know that you're saved, don't be ashamed when he returns. Be about the Father's work. And by the way, if you're not sure you're saved, read 1 John, the mission statement of 1 John. And I don't care if you're Arminian or Calvinist, the word of God is the word of God. The mission statement of 1 John, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So the only reason those five short chapters are there is for assurance of our salvation. If for some reason you're not sure of your relationship with Christ, number one, dear God, I'm not even sure I'm your kid. Show me. And two, open up God's word to 1 John and read it and read it and read it. Because as you read it, you have God's word that you'll become assured of whether you have a relationship with Christ or not. You can argue if you want to lose it next week, or you can be taken. You can argue that stuff if you want to. All I'm saying is, I'm standing on God's word to let you know at this moment in my life, I don't think I'm going to heaven. I don't have a hunch I'm going to heaven, but I know that I deserve to be in hell just like you do. But I know something about amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. If you have any questions about this, get in touch with me. If you have any questions about me, uh, how I got saved, what prison was like, what Vietnam was like, feel free to get in touch with me. If there's anything I can help you with, pray with you about, get in touch with me. Uh, that's what I'm here for. I'm not doing this just for fun. I'm doing this with the prayer that it's an encouragement to someone and that God would somehow use it as a seed to draw somebody to salvation. Because that's what I'm about. Not because I have a piece of paper in my wall that says I'd be a reverend, but because I'm a found child of God. I'm a child of God adopted into his family, and like you, I have a task. Brag on Jesus. So let's be doing that. Brag on Jesus. Until next time, Jack Hager, blessings.